Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depths of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome back to What's the Word Downtown. My name's Matt McGill. I'm here with Pastor Eric Barton to discuss yesterday's teaching mm. at Bethel Bible Downtown, where we looked further into Luke 4. Early ministry yeah. of Jesus up in the yeah. Galilee. What was different about this in general from the synoptic gospels? Is Mark Luke is not a synoptic. He is a synoptic, is a synoptic yeah. gospel. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are That's the synoptics. Right. John's got a little bit different arrangement of content. But what you've been saying is that Luke is all about describing how Jesus is the man. Right. Very man of man. Like he's like, N.T. Wright calls him the first fully human. Right. Absolutely so. Matthew's theme, written principally to a group of Jewish believers, that Jesus is the rightful king in the line of David. Mark, I think, influenced by Peter's teaching and Peter's uh, information. Mark's trying to convey that Jesus is the the suffering servant that you hear about in Isaiah because Mm -hmm. there was a a Jewish misconception that there were actually two separate messiahs, Mm -hmm. the conquering warrior and the suffering Mm -hmm. servant. They were different. Mark's saying, no, this... Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah, whereas Luke is saying he is the Lord Sabaoth. He is the man, as N.T. Wright says, fully human, the most perfect human, who Adam could have and should have been, but fell and was deceived. This Jesus, we have a tendency to think of him, well, yeah, because he's God. And he sort of floats around ethereally, and he's Jesus, and he speaks. But it's very humans. important that though we it's have not. the incarnation, that that the answer to humanity's problems, in a sense, came through humanity. It did. So there's an old theological term called the recapitulation model, mm-hmm. that where Adam did all of these things that caused fear, uncertainty, doubt, brokenness, that Jesus recapitulated it. He re installs the head mm-hmm. of humanity. Adam was the vice regent, mm. the mm-hmm. viceroy of earth, mm-hmm. but he threw the keys to the enemy. Mm-hmm. But the rightful king has now landed. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it does come through a man who, by the way, did not shuck his humanity at the resurrection or the ascension. He's mm-hmm. still and forever mm-hmm. a human, part of God's eternal plan for the cosmos, which is stunning involves a human and that one of the members of the Trinity is still human. So in, in not shirking his humanity, in fact, we could say maybe without argument that Jesus felt deeper than any human that's ever lived. Okay. When I say felt what I remember yeah. when he looked out at the crowds who were hapless and helpless mm-hmm. and his heart went out to them, that he was actually feeling for them. And yeah. we're going to talk in a moment where he runs out the unclean spirit, that his feeling or his, the, the, the heart of Jesus compelled him uh, to act mm-hmm. and to, uh, in a paradoxical way, uh, become the conquering hero by way of his submission unto the suffering servant. Right. Like, I mean, he kind of combines the two in a way that befuddles Jews to this day. Correct. Correct. Their pushback is if this Jesus of Nazareth was, in fact, Messiah, 
then why didn't all these other things happen? Mm-hmm. The prophet Joel foretells this, uh, Malachi said this, Micah said this, Zechariah mm-hmm. said all these things. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened. Correct. He inaugurated it, which we looked at in the previous week's passage and looked for. He inaugurated that ministry, but all of the conquering, all of the vanquishing, all of those things has not happened in full yet, but it has begun. Was it proleptic language when he said, in your hearing, all of this is now fulfilled? Last week when you talked about him going into the synagogue and um, taking the scroll from Isaiah, reading a very short portion, right? but essentially then rolling it up quickly, right? I mean, he was he was expected to preach a uh, Eric Barton type of uh, <laughs> message. I mean, right. you know, th- it was a right. very short message that it he was. preached, essentially just quoting the word, but not really quoting the word articulating from the source of the word himself yeah the scripture began or again that there's you know it's a technical term but Uh but still it's meaningful it initiates it inaugurates Uh which does frustrate and befuddle a good many reader because they think well then why didn't it all happen all at once Mm -hmm. and the answer is grace Mm -hmm. because if there had just been advent period Mm -hmm. then it would have been cataclysmic for all evil, which was the human race, but instead Christ becomes that which he wants to save. He goes very, very low. John 1 talks about that Jesus is the exegesis, the revealer, the manifester of the Father on earth. What is God like? Look at Jesus. And while he's crushing this snake as the conquering servant, he still gets pierced by the snake. Right. It's a slow, <laughs> yeah. you know, crushing, not like the Mel Gibson. Remember the great Mel Gibson yeah. whoosh, who just crushed it? It's a slow crushing right. in so much as it, there's, a, there's a grace, I guess in the same way that God wrestles with Jacob through the night, that there's a, that there's a yeah. grace in God's perfect and sovereign timing Correct. that though one suffers through the night, joy comes in the morning. Right. And so to this passage that we looked at yesterday, When Jesus goes into Capernaum, this very significant central city in the northern part of Israel in the Galilee, he encounters resistance, not from black magic and the occult, is what we might anticipate he encounters, but what he encounters is the resistance of man-made religion. Even in the synagogue, that great bastion of truth, especially in the synagogue, where they've taken the law of Moses that was a grace of God and they've thwarted it, perverted it. And that's a delicate thing I want to be careful to say, but it had become a works-based meta-narrative that I have to do all of these things to earn, achieve, and obtain. And that's where the enemy thrives. And doesn't it seem like, I mean, this is obviously uh, Luke 4. Uh, This is after uh, the intertestamental period Mm -hmm. where in a way, we weren't, the people of God were not hearing from God. Correct. He wasn't silent, but they weren't hearing from him. And oftentimes we go through, well, I mean, he did, we didn't have prophets. Bingo. Right. Right. But he still speaks in his living word. Of course. Uh, but somehow uh, the absence of fresh prophecy and hearing from God's mouthpiece hardened them. It did. And he, they began he, to trust the law more than they ought. They did. They, or to gave tr- them trust over. the law to do things that the law was never intended to do. Correct. Sorry. The law never justified a single human being, ever. And cannot engender what it commands. Of, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And God knew that. Mm-hmm. We want to be, I want to be careful when I talk about the gospel of Luke, 
oftentimes people will shy away from teaching anything after loop two. Hmm. We love loop two. I mean, hmm. it's, you know, the Charlie Brown story. That's a heck of a lot of loop to... It's a lot of loop to not use because historically there was some accusation that because Luke was a Gentile, he was a Greek, hmm. that Dr. Luke was anti-Semitic. Hmm. But nothing could be further from the truth. Hmm. We see, I think this is why it's so significant that even last week's passage in the middle of Luke 4, that Jesus is in a synagogue. And that Luke makes no qualitative statement that he should not have been, and that was bad, and that those right. those people. That, no, Luke doesn't ever do that. Luke's point is that Jesus loves people, even the the down and out, the outcast, but also the up and out. Luke is very very fair and balanced in saying that Jesus loves Jewish people and he loves Gentile people. Mm-hmm. And so you get to the end of this chapter four, and you see that Jesus is going is going. Look, my job, the reason I was sent is to proclaim the kingdom to all people, not just that group and not not that group, mm-hmm. but to all people. He cares for Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who is a widow, doesn't even have a husband, doesn't even have a son. She's having to rely on her son-in-law, and so she's the down and out, and Jesus loves her. And Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom. And so when we talk about the kingdom, on the backdrop of this unclean spirit that is present in the synagogue, the kingdom of God is as yet fully to be realized, as yet the next, what we'll call the theocratic administration, when the Son of God literally, legally, logistically reigns in Jerusalem. But this, what we read about and where we live now, is Jesus announcing that, inaugurating that, initiating that, saying, hey, but we get to live as though that were our reality now in Christ and dwelled by the Spirit. And so that's why he meets so much resistance by an unclean spirit, by the the authorities, by the social structures, because the kingdom is against what we as humans erect. Yeah, and all of this, these, all of the gospel materials that speak of Jesus' earthly ministry, it would be like... uh, so much, seemingly, so much more efficient if we could say, he's here, let's put him on a cross and kill him. But instead, we have three, three and a half years where Christ is detailing not only the presence of the new kingdom, but the death that is that characterizes the old kingdom, the hopelessness that characterizes the old kingdom. And in this mm. case, the demonic oppression that, that characterizes the old kingdom. Let me say, that to me was the most stirring, striking, and stilling moment of your sermon yesterday was when you went so far as to say that to drive out a demonic oppression, that there's that, that anywhere where the law is being preached to have a power that it does not have, and it's actually isolating, constricting, and restricting a person to death that that is the presence of the demonic. Absolutely. And That's a heavy thing, bro. It's that a huge heavy thing, and yeah. that manifests itself not just in this religious narrative or that religious narrative, but every other religious narrative other than the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to say that as dogmatically and as And oftentimes in many, many churches who believe they Correct. are preaching the gospel. Correct. Which is the scariest. I'm not scariest, but it's the most, it can be the most damaging. It's, it's chilling. It's chilling because it's, it's an old theological uh, statement, an old truism mm-hmm. that, that theologians have said for centuries, and I love it. Man cannot and will not devise a system that condemns him. Now, that's what every other religion rejects. 
says, no, we will create a system. We will devise a system in which we can actually achieve, overcome, and obtain, mm -hmm. and we can earn right standing. We can accomplish we can, all these things. Man, by his nature, will not devise a system that condemns him, but the gospel condemns us. It says, you are a depraved loser, sin-soaked and hopeless, but you are more loved. And that's offensive. That's why Paul will say it. It's offensive. It's, it's a stumbling block. It is the only organizing narrative of our lives that says that strips us of any control we ever assumed Absolutely. we had and all of our value comes to us from without god says i deem you worthy i declare you just even though we're not he chooses to change his mind about us no other organizing narrative or meta narrative does that with a person and so the enemy i think animatedly energizes that and and is active in our condemnation. Yeah. It's not black candles and goat's heads and yeah. sacrifices out in the forest. Even he's, that's that's got no actual staying power. But to condemn someone by continually leading them into a legalistic, earning, achievement-based life is destruction. It's destruction. And Jesus hates that. It's destruction and it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. But it is so alluring sure. in religious gatherings where control and organization is prized mm -hmm. over the movement of the spirit. Sure. You know, so that there's a, that, that, that in seemingly gospel, uh, you know, uh, environments or, uh, that, that you have people that are levying a the weight of the law to make sheep for themselves, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like this is the, 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 the announcement of the gospel that Christ in, in here in Luke four driving out this evil spirit. This is a manifestation of what he's going to do when he goes into the temple and mm -hmm. turns over the tables mm -hmm. and draws over, draws, draws out and pushes out and says, shut up, get out. Like you said yesterday, shut up, get out to any organizing narrative that says, if you do, then you can. Right. If you do this, then you will achieve this. This sense where the action, the spiritual action rests and anchors in man's yeah. movement rather than the movement of God. Because we like to know how we're doing. We want to know. Am I doing okay? Am I doing yeah. enough? Am I doing all right? How am I doing in compared to Matt? How am I doing in compared to that person, that person? And I need little mileposts and benchmarks to tell me how I'm doing. We love key performance indicators to use the business drug. And we need to know how we're doing. But the gospel comes along and says, God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. That's how you're doing. And that requires faith. That requires community to go, hey, listen. It's not about a key performance indicator of how often you go to church, how much you give, how much you serve. That's not how you're doing. How you're doing is that God says he loves you mm. because mm. that's what God's like. That's the whole theme of Ephesians 1. The kind of God we have is the kind of God that loves the unlovely. Mm. His love has nothing to do with our loveliness. Mm. But every other organizing narrative says, no, 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 it does have to do with what you're capable of producing, which is a system of bondage. And why does the enemy continue to do that? Because it works. Mm. He's a pragmatist. Mm -hmm. He just does what works. If he were to accuse us with this, that, and the other, 
it wouldn't actually work and so he would have to change this system of oppression that he see and again it's stark it's kind of a stunning surprise here's this unclean spirit in the synagogue where torah is being read and discussed and this unclean spirit sits there as nice and happy as he can be as soon as someone says grace he shrieks now that ought to tell us something it's right almost here. as though he's posited there to make sure that grace is never preached correct correct that's indicative, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's an interesting thing for us. So mm -hmm. we, we think about Jesus encountering all these unclean spirits, and we hear the story about the garrison demoniac and all mm -hmm. these things. And again, it sort of ratchets up, and it's, well, that must be the way it always is, that it's good versus evil, light versus dark. Well, but it's I mentioned it yesterday. It's not like Jesus has to flex. Yeah. He's sovereign God. And so evil flees from him. What place does light have with darkness, Paul will ask? None. I couldn't help but think about um, Christ touching and healing the leper, the lepers. I'm sure there was more than one. But the idea that leprosy was at its base a nervous condition mm. and how a people who were cut off from the life of God mm -hmm. pushed out of the places of clean, cleanliness and right, assumed righteousness. Mm -hmm. They were held away from that. And in their nervousness, their 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 uh, sensitivity to touch continued in its deadening. Oh, right. Do you know? Yeah. And that, that Christ driving out evil spirits heals people at a level deeper than they can comprehend. Hmm. That, that, that the word of grace upon us that we, and we, just as you were talking, it seems to me that, uh, oftentimes the gospel works on the front end in a deconstructive way. It does. Stripping you of your false assumptions, of your own strength, of your uh, self-salvation uh, self projects, mm -hmm. uh, and begins to leave you, lay you bare. That's what we talk, AA will talk about people needing to bottom out, needing to hit rock bottom before yeah. they understand that they need a higher power to deliver them. You yeah. know, and so here's Christ in the, uh, in the synagogue driving out what looks to be like the physical uh, evil. Sp well, I mean, I don't know. What is the encounter here? Is this a, is do we are, it's left to the imagination when we see demonic spirit. Do we see someone speaking for this man who has no faith, who has no grace and has only dis-ease? And that's a manifestation of that. In, right there in a place that ought to be uh, the home of peace and the home of God's presence with you. Yeah, uh, and the home of God's revealed truth and yes. the requirements of righteousness in the law and the sacrificial system, but they took it and they turned it into something else, energized by the enemy. Mm -hmm. And so this person, he's not just a you know an idea or a metaphor. He's an actual person that this world system of legalism has essentially consumed. And so when the demon has his way with him and then finally just, just discards him like trash... Yeah, that's not what Jesus ever, ever, ever does. He's an actual person who, who knows what as actual, a different voice comes out. We don't know. We can get, you know, imaginative and try to special effect this thing. Luke and all the other writers, when they discuss these kinds of things, it's not super shocking. It's just shut up, get out. And Jesus just deals with it. And the demon discards this person like trash because a system like that does just treat people like, like grist on the mill. Just, it just chews them up and spits them out because our enemy is a destroyer. Mm -hmm. But we're supposed to see this Jesus and go, but I need, 
I need a guy. I need a king. I need a savior who's loving, who is strong, who is noble. That's that's what I need. And so we read these stories, and it's always amazing to me that when I preach a passage like this, and then you're going to lead us in worship. Yesterday was awesome mm-hmm. with the kids. Mm-hmm. And we closed, before I preached, you closed the set with a song, Engine and Key. Mm-hmm. And about Jesus. Yes. Tell me about Jesus as the engine and the key. Because I think it fits right in with what we're talking about here. Well, I think that I, it seems to me that the the spirit within, right, the idea that we are included in the life of Jesus and that he has deposited his spirit within us, which is something like the engine under the hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet... Uh, the animating force. The animating force, the propulsion, yeah. uh, the motor, I called it in the song, mm-hmm. the engine. Uh, and yet, to, to have any engine, you gotta, you gotta, ha- to start any engine, you gotta have a key. And so. See, they should write a song about right, that. So That's so good. For, for me, it was like the engine's there, but what's the key? And Jesus, we, we, we focus our heart's affections on Jesus uh, outside of us somehow right mm-hmm. like this idea that he is the alpha and the omega and while we understand and receive him inwardly we have to look at the instrument of death that becomes the instrument of life like mm-hmm. we have we we gather together weekly to focus and concentrate our hearts affections our minds sort of focusing energy you know mm-hmm. to all that we are we focus on the life death resurrection and forever ministry of Jesus outside us, but that is that we're turned on to that because we have the engine of the Holy Spirit within us right. to connect with the key of Jesus that unlocks us, unlocks us to ourself because the Spirit's just like we're about to start in the men's group, this uh, the release of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. There has to be brokenness on the outside for the Spirit to emerge and connect us with one another. Otherwise, we become like... Uh, these people walking around in a system of religion just curved in on ourselves, noticing too much of our good works and trying to uh, escape and not acknowledge our bad works, and we're dead to one another. We may may all be here, but without the Spirit and without Jesus, we we become uh, prone to the demonic spirit of the law. That the so, enemy uses inside of Christian churches all the time. Sure. And so to be very practical with just people yeah. who might be hearing this, seeing <laughs> this, really the the outworking of what we're talking about here and even in what you were writing in the, in the song yeah. manifests to joylessness. And I think when you look at the world around us, what's going on? Why are there problems here? Why are there... Because people are in pursuit of joy. And they will either attach themselves to this rail system to try to accomplish and achieve joy Mm -hmm. through uh, a consumeristic relationship of relationships Mm -hmm. uh, of others or whatever it might be versus I'm broken but loved. And there is this emptying of, which is what Jesus did, this emptying that actually produces joy and so you're right. Those of us who are Christians, who are indwelled by the Spirit, ought to be the walking around demonstrations of what does joy actually look like. And it's not about me and my accomplishment, how much I've grown and how many quiet times I've had today, how many highlighters I've burned through before 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. 
He sees me. He knows me. He loves me. And therefore, joy. We say it all the time. Joy is the product of fulfillment. Mm. Joy itself is not the goal. It's being fulfilled. The engine running because mm -hmm. the key has been turned. Mm -hmm. Joy is the product of fulfillment. So yeah. when we see a passage like this, it's intended to, to draw us in to go, this Jesus guy. Yeah. I, I love this guy. Well, look, it, it, all of our problems are no different than the Jews who demanded a king they could see. Yeah. Right. right? right. And all of our self-salvation projects and all of our inner resistance to the finished work of Jesus on the cross is somehow anchored in living by sight rather mm. than by faith. There you go. And the work of our hands taking us somewhere that the work of the cross in our mind can't. Right. It's good. So it's, it's, good. it's as if Jesus is always walking into our synagogue, the home of our hearts, Come on. and saying, you get out. Evil spirit of law, get out. You are now fulfilled. I am the king, and I'm here mm. that you would have life and life abundant. So here's the scary thing to me, and I mean that yeah, scary, yeah. the frightening yeah. thing. All of us, loved by Jesus and loved by his spirit, have a tendency to revert to law. Mm -hmm. Can't help it. Mm -hmm. It's just our, our, mm -hmm. our still present fallenness. Mm -hmm. So I'm reminded that as we come together on a weekend mm -hmm. or a, mm -hmm. the Lord's Day on a Sunday, mm -hmm. the criticality of community to remind one another of grace, grace, gospel, gospel, because it is the gospel spoken through your voice, the gospel spoken through your daughter's voices as mm -hmm. they sing mm -hmm. that shoots holes in all my little idols, mm -hmm. that decapitates my idol factory. But we've got to have that. So it's mm -hmm. not, a, again, it's not just coming to church to check the box. That's a legalism. Mm -hmm. No, it's because I need to hear the gospel through you. And you and I mm -hmm. never go nor grow beyond the gospel. Right. So I'm grateful that we get to do this. I can't wait for next week. Luke what 5, we Luke off 5? we go. Going into Luke 5. Mm -hmm. Yep. 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Be there because that's when we start worship. Right on. <laughs> See you Sunday. God bless. Bye now.